Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Woo, we could have just really, you know, bypassed the sermon and just stayed in worship, and I think we all would have been okay with that. I certainly would have. <laughs> oh, man, it's good to be back. Uh, missed last week. Missed y'all. Uh, went snowboarding with some friends of mine up in North Carolina, and uh, it was for our collective 40th birthdays. And, you know, as you get older, it's, it's tricky getting older, I found. Um, <laughs> You know, some things kind of hint at you getting older, you know, you, you, it takes a little longer when you bend down to tie your shoe. <laughs> Snowboarding just smacks you in the face of getting older, it, uh, and it did me the other day. We were actually going to snowboard three days and come home on Monday, but after two days, we found out, you know, uh, our, my body hurts, and I don't want to do it a third day. <laughs> and so we came home on Sunday and uh, got to listen to the live stream and hear Jason preach, just an amazing word. So Jason, thank you for that. Uh, it was awesome. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I highly encourage you to uh, go on our app or our website and check it out. I texted him, I said, anytime you can bring up the art of war in a sermon, you've done a good thing, all right? So, and he did that, he accomplished that last Sunday. So anyway, I'm excited about this morning. I'm excited about uh, these next 20 minutes or so, what God has to say and um, you know, since I've started preaching about six months now, uh, I feel like God has just kind of been collectively and even individually waking us up, getting out of us, uh, out of us a slumber a little bit uh, of our Christian walk and what he's calling us to. And so the sermons have been kind of like a little intense, to be honest with you. And uh, people have even come up to my wife, Jesse, and like, is, wow, you know, James, he's so passionate. He's like that at home? And she's like, no, he's not, you know? <laughs> And she's right, I'm not. I, I'm very laid back and chill most of the time. Uh, but for some reason, when I get up here and God gets moving, it's just been like, and I'm kind of like, God, when can we have like a softball Sunday, you know, where we just kind of laugh through the whole thing and feel good and, you know, all shucks, that was great. Let's go have some lunch after church. Um, but it hasn't happened yet. I, I do want to say, I feel like, you know, today we are skewing that way a little bit. I'm excited about what God has to say this morning because, you know, we, we spent all of January talking about the identity of ourselves and of our church and praying and loving and serving and how do we act as children of God. And those are, those are things that when we put in front of us can seem really, really hard at times. I mean, it's hard to love our enemies. It's hard to serve our enemies. But, you know, God calls us to those things, but he also does it with this amazing amount of grace, and so what I wanna talk about this morning is kind of what that looks like, what, what that aspect of our Christian walk is, because really it's everything. All those other things that we talk about are only accomplished when we walk in the grace that he gives us every single day. And so what I wanna do, again, for these next 20 minutes or so is to discuss that. And we're gonna start in 2 Kings chapter four, starting in verse one. And this is a story of Elisha and a widow. And Elisha, if you don't know who he is, he is a prophet in the Old Testament. He succeeded Elijah, who was a major prophet as well. These are two big names. And Elisha is a very well-known godly man, okay? And there's this woman that comes to him in chapter four of Second Kings, starting in verse one. And it says this, one day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, my husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Okay, so uh, a real simple translation of these couple verses is this. This woman is about to lose everything. All right, her husband has already died, and now her two sons are about to be taken from her because she's up to her ears in debt. 
And what is very, very important to understand about where this woman is coming from is not just that she's about to lose everything, but it's how it happened. Because her husband, the one who was dead, where it says that he was part of the prophets, was a guy named Obadiah. And if you read, if you read in 1 Kings, Obadiah was one of the prophets that hid the other prophets from Jezebel, who was trying to wipe out all the, all the godly prophets. And she was killing them all. And so he hid all of these prophets in a cave. Well, when you hide a bunch of prophets in a cave, you can't just say, hey, I, I hope you like the taste of rock, because that's what you're going to have to eat, all right? You have to feed them. You have to supply them with things. And that costs money, just like it does today. And so Obadiah, with his wife here that we're reading about, took their money to help feed these prophets that they were hiding. Now think about that for a second. They took their money to provide for prophets that they were saving for God. Now the husband dies. The wife is left with this debt. And the result of that is now that her sons are gonna be taken from her. So if that's me, and I think probably most of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we're saying, God, hello, this isn't fair. My husband served you. He put his life on the line for you. He paid all this money to have these other prophets saved. And in return, he's gonna die and you're gonna take my sons? This isn't fair. Okay, so think about where she is right now. And let's try and put ourselves in her shoes. And maybe you already have. Not, don't show hands, but ask yourself, have you ever been in this situation where you feel like you have lost everything and all you can say is, God, it's not fair. I've been trying and still everything is lost. Everything is lost. Listen to how the story continues. Verse two, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask, of olive oil, she replied. So Elisha's like, you know, you don't see me wearing gold robes and, you know, having all this jewelry on. I can't, I'm poor too, you know? How am I supposed to help you? He's kind of, this really reminds me a lot of Jesus. You know, when you hear uh, people talking to Jesus, he puts it back on them real quick. Elisha's doing that too. What, what can I do? How about this, what do you have? And I think her answer is very telling as well because she says she's got nothing in the house. And if you fast forward this situation to today, it would look something like, well, you know, how about we start a GoFundMe? You know, we're gonna put it out there and we're gonna have people just donate to the cause and we're gonna say the plight on oh, my husband. He was a prophet and he died, but he saved all these people. And now I'm here and can you help me? Well, there was no GoFundMe back then. So the next solution is, hey, let's go old school and have ourselves a garage sale, all right? Who loves a good old garage sale, right? Nobody, they're the worst. That is how the devil does business in hell, is in garage sales. That's old school, right? And so Elisha's kind of asking her that. Hey, can you think we can have a garage sale? And she says, no, I don't have anything. Which tells me that she's already sold everything she has. Like she's already been down that road. I've tried. And I've been paying the, the creditor as much as I can through everything that I've sold, but I just don't have anything else except for this little flask of oil. And that's it. That's all I have. She's done. Another word that you could say that she is, which is a word we're gonna talk about a lot today, is she is empty. She's empty. She's got nothing left. She is completely, completely empty. Let's keep reading. Verse three, and Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. 
Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she, so she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. What an amazing miracle this is, right? We read this and we go, wow, that's so cool. The oil just kept flowing, kept flowing, but there's so much more to this than just that miracle. And the first thing that I wanna focus on is what is required of her. Because as she comes to Elisha, he puts it back on her and he requires her to be obedient to what he asks. He says, you go get the empty cups and then you fill them up. And it's important for us to understand and see in the story that Elisha doesn't, doesn't just look at her and say, it's okay, let me handle this for you. And I'm gonna go do all the work for you. In her emptiness, okay, follow along with me here. In her emptiness, he says, go and do this. And she does. And she does. And the point I want to make to all of us this morning is God is looking for empty cups. Because what does she use to fill the oil? Empty cups. He says, go get everything that is empty and bring it back and we will fill it with oil that you can live on. Don't go get a bunch of full things that you can bring back here and then we can see how much of it we can sell. Bring the empty cups. That's what we need. And as God is looking around for his people to move on his behalf, he's looking for empty cups. And a lot of times we get so confused and so frustrated because we're trying to fill ourselves with stuff, with information, with religion, with law, that we're so full that we can't be used because we filled ourselves with stuff. We filled our stuff with our own things, our own accomplishments. And God's saying, no, 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 I want empty cups. So this should really come as a great relief to every single one of us. We should leave here today a lot lighter than when we came in because a lot of our burden is self-induced. A lot, a lot of the weight that we carry is self-induced because we have put it in us. And then we wonder, why has the oil stopped flowing? Because we're full. We see here in this story, there was empty cups, and then when they were all full, when did the oil stop? Then. Can you imagine if she had said, go get more? There's gotta be more cups. I guarantee you the oil would have kept flowing. If they had gotten less cups than what they had, the oil would have stopped flowing. It's when we're full that it stops flowing. God is looking for empty cups. So this morning, if, that, if you're sitting in here and you're wondering, God, where are you? Let's take a look in the mirror and ask, what are we full of? Because it might just be ourselves. God wants emptiness. He doesn't want it the other way around. I'm gonna read this quote to you, see if I can find it. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that's okay. Um, well, well, we'll get to it in a minute, but God, no, I'm gonna read it now. Charles Spurgeon says, it is not our emptiness, but our fullness, which can hinder the outgoings of free grace. I'm gonna read that again. It is not our emptiness, 
but our fullness, which can hinder the outgoing of free grace. Now, I want to look at a couple of examples of God using empty people in the Bible. And there's, this is just two. You could, I mean, look, we could be here all day talking about it. But I want to look in 1 Samuel chapter 22, starting in verse 1. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Agilom. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Listen to the people that were there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So we see here as David is, is a fugitive and is running from King Saul, the people that he uses for his army are not the rich, the ones who have it all together, who have the best armor. They're the empty cups. They're the ones who are in debt, who, the ones who are discouraged, discontented. That's who God calls, who God uses. Okay, is this making sense this morning? Because we've got to let go. We've got to stop making it about ourselves. I'm gonna read another quote. I'm gonna get even more ahead of myself because this is so good. Tim Keller says, the default mode of the human heart is works righteousness. We do not ordinarily live as if the gospel is true. That's tough. And he's right. The default setting of our heart is if I do all these good works, then I will be seen righteous in God's eyes. And then, here's the kicker, he's gonna owe me something because of what I've done. When in reality, as much as we come to church and sing these songs and raise our hands, when we leave here, we go right back to the default setting instead of living the gospel truth, which is there is righteousness and then the works follow. That by grace we are saved. As Pastor Tina talked this morning, it was Jesus on the cross that broke the curse. Not our doing, not our works. If we start living the gospel truth and start walking and living in the grace that God pours out on us every day, we will then be able to empty ourselves, not only to God, but to the people around us, and then the Holy Spirit will flow. But we've got to be empty. We've got to be empty. And that means not living the default setting of righteousness, you know, of works first and then righteousness. We gotta, we gotta check ourselves on that. I have to check myself on everybody in this room because we can get really carried away with that. And the trap of that is when we start living the works, righteousness, default setting of our heart, two things happen. We either become insanely self-righteous because we think now that we have earned it, and look at me, look at all the works I do, and look at them, they don't do any of that stuff, and I'm gonna sit on my high horse and on them, right? <laughs> or the other thing is, is the opposite. We realize that we can't live up to it, we start beating ourselves up, making ourselves feel terrible about ourselves, have an awful you know, view of ourselves, and when we look in the mirror, we hate ourselves, and realize that we can never live up to it. That's really the only two choices you can have in the matter. When you go, works righteousness. When you go the gospel truth and you realize that God loves us and he saved us despite ourselves, you walk in freedom. You walk in freedom of all those things. Those things are gone and you're able to pour onto other people. You're able to lavish your love on God and you're empty so then he can use you. Then the Holy Spirit flows. But we have, we have, we have to check ourselves on that. Another example, and this is, this is my favorite one. Acts Chapter four, starting in verse one, it says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, 
They were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. Pause there for a second. Let's go again. It was the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. Translation, the works to righteousness people. Okay, consider that. And it says that they were, they were disturbed. They were disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. Come on. Verse 5, the next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Skip to verse 7. They brought in the, in the two disciples and demanded, by what power and whose name have you done this? Then Peter, here we go, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you, I love that, and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it is said, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, meaning works as well. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that, here we go, here we are. They were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Who is God trying to use? The empty cups. We see here the boldness that Peter speaks with, proclaiming the name of Jesus. And then it is followed up very quickly by the fact that these two men, Peter and John, were ordinary and they were untrained. That's who God used. That's who God built his church on. Ordinary, untrained, not works righteousness. Listen to Peter's words here. What does he say? It is through Jesus that there is salvation. There is one name. There is one thing. Forget about all the stuff that you thought that you needed to do. What you need to do is run to the cross. What you need to do is accept Jesus. Because try as hard as you might, there is nothing that will save you except Jesus. We have got to empty ourselves so that God can pour back into us. It's as simple as that. It is as simple as that, yet it can be one of the hardest things that, that the longest churchgoer struggles with is letting go of who we are and just being empty before God. You want the oil to start flowing in your life again. Then we gotta empty ourselves and stop trying so hard on our behalf to earn something that has already been given to us. We've got to let go of these burdens that we've been carrying around, filling ourselves with information and stuff and religion and the law and either puffing ourselves up or feeling completely deflated and being empty before God. There is, honestly, no more freeing time than we just sit before God and say, I had nothing. I got nothing. I need you. Man, does he come in quick. I, think, I believe he already did this morning in worship. 
And this is just a continuation of everything that's been said through communion, through Kelly's word, and even now, over and over and over and over, God is saying, I got you. I got you. Stop putting this on yourself. Stop putting this on yourself. Stop filling yourself with all this other stuff. This is about me pouring into you. You want the oil to start flowing again? Empty yourself. We're going to have the band come back up. I told you a short word this morning. But I, you know, God's already been saying it all service. And I want us to have a chance to respond in prayer to free ourselves of the burden this morning. If you walked in and you were just felt feeling heavy, it's time to get empty. If you're sitting here this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus because you feel like you're not in the right place, listen, I've heard this so many times. People say, I, I wanna get saved, but I just gotta get my life right first. That is the, is the lie of the enemy, stopping you from receiving the love of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, if you go that route, you're never gonna accept Jesus because we cannot on our own get our lives fixed. But that's why God is so good. He doesn't wait for that. He says, let me come in and I will make you righteous and I will clean up the mess. I will empty all this stuff out. I will flush all that stuff out. I will get rid of all that because I love you. And while you were a sinner, I died for you. He didn't wait. Jesus did not wait. So let's not wait on him. We are a church that stands on the truth of grace. All of us in this room are nothing but a bunch of sinners that decided, you know what? I'm gonna give up trying to do this myself and I'm gonna believe what Jesus said, that he died on the cross for me. And I'm gonna accept him into my heart and I'm gonna empty myself so that the oil can start flowing. The oil in the Bible over and over again is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what the oil represents. And so when we empty ourselves, the Holy Spirit just starts moving, just starts moving. And man, I was, I was talking to Pastor Luis this morning. When the Holy Spirit starts moving, the miracles start coming, all right? They start coming. And so if that's what you need this morning, come up and get prayed for. Get empty before the Lord. Get all the junk out, all the stuff that you've been trying to do on your own. I mean, really be honest with yourself. Have you put all these burdens on yourself? Have you gone back to the default setting of works righteousness? And man, you're, you're up to your ears and you're about to drown because that formula just doesn't work. Let's get back to the gospel truth of Jesus Christ, that he takes those things. He takes the hurts. He takes the mess ups and the failures and the things that we've buried deep in our hearts that we think we've forgotten, but over and over again, remind us that we're not good enough. And let's empty ourselves of those things before the Lord so that he can use us. Let's not get it twisted. God wants to use the empty vessels, the empty cups. And he, I'm telling you, church, he wants to flow in us. He wants the oil to start flowing again, big time, big time. I've had to tell myself that lately. He, he, he wants the oil to flow. So can we empty ourselves and acknowledge that that's, what, that's our role? Let's stand as we continue to worship, as we close out our service this morning. I'm gonna invite the pastors and elders, y'all come on up now. And if that's you, if you need to be empty this morning, come up and let's, let's agree in prayer. We'll stand with you and pray for you this morning, amen.
Father, thank you, Jesus. God, that it's not about rules, Lord. Your law is there to show us and to guide us, but it's also there to reveal that there's no way we can measure up. And so in that, Father, we know that you sent Jesus, our Savior, our God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. God, we thank you for that sacrifice. We can today, all these years later, say we run to you and we give you all the stuff in our hearts and we lay it before you and we empty ourselves of you as empty cups. And God, we pray right now, Jesus, that the oil would start flowing in Jesus' name. God, that we would not ever fill ourselves up with junk, but we would fill ourselves up with you over and over and over. Let us not go back to the default settings of our heart. God, let us live the gospel truth and free us, Father, of that, of that feeling of self-righteousness or that feeling of, of not measuring up ever and, and, and defeating ourselves and beating ourselves up, Lord. And let us run to you. Let us run to you, Father. Remember that you broke the curses already because you stayed on that cross. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you this morning, come on up. Let's get prayed for.